You may be seated. And when you are, please open up your copies of God's Word to the book of Romans. We are continuing to work our way through chapter 1. Today we are going to be looking at Romans chapter 1, verses 8 through 17. But we're going to start at the top of the chapter at verse 1. That will... That way we get the context and maybe remember a little bit of last week as we continue to go through this book. I was reading the first, I was reading this passage this morning and noticed that verse 1 through 7 is one sentence. Wow. Well, as we begin, I would remind you that this is God's holy, inspired, and infallible word. Romans chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the holy scriptures, concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine." I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation, both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome." For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for your word. And we thank you for the light it brings, the guidance it brings to us, the correction we receive from it, the encouragement we receive from it. 
Lord, we would ask that you would do a powerful thing. You have said yourself that your word will not come back to you void. And we trust you in that. Lord, we pray that you would do a work this morning through your word. We would ask for that grace, O Lord. Give us ears to hear. We'd ask that you would hear our prayer in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, The COVID era has taught us many things. And one of the good things uh, that came out of uh, COVID was a greater aware of technology that was already available to us, but many of us weren't using. Um, For instance, the ability to live stream our worship services. Many of us weren't doing that before the pandemic, um, but we were encouraged, and now uh, we are. And it's been a tremendous blessing for those that are homebound, And for those that are sick or for those that are out on vacation. And with the pandemic, we also became much more aware of video conferencing capabilities. We started using apps and websites like Zoom and Google Meet and WhatsApp uh, to talk with one another. And the beautiful thing was you could see the people on the other end of the call And that brought us comfort. It made things better. It wasn't, of course, as good as being able to see the person face to face, but it somehow made the call more personal. It helped bring us uh, together somehow. Well, as Paul continues in his letter, he begins to share his heart and life with the Roman congregations He longed to be with the church in Rome. You can see that in verse 11. But he lived 2,000 years ago, and thus far he'd been unable to visit them. So he begins to share his heart and his life with them. He wanted them to see what motivated and sustained him. And as he continues his letter, you learn about his prayer life his love for the church, his commitment to evangelism, and his confidence in the power of the gospel. Paul is an example to us. His life is a pattern for anyone seeking to be a servant of Christ, anyone seeking to follow Christ. How do we do? What do we do? How do we live? And as this passage begins, you learn about Paul's prayer life. You see that he prays for opportunities to bring the gospel to others. So we're going to begin with our first heading, Gospel Prayer. Gospel Prayer. Paul begins by thanking God and speaking of his personal prayer life. In verse 8, he says, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. Paul had heard of the Romans' faith uh, repeatedly. There was a buzz about it in the Mediterranean churches. Their faith was making an impact And its widespread fame thrilled Paul's heart. 
and it filled him with gratitude. And expressing his gratitude to God was his first priority. He began his prayer with worship. Notice he says, first, I thank my God. Notice that Paul refers to God as my God. This reflects his sense of intimacy with God. The Christian faith is personal, isn't it? It's not cold and detached. It shouldn't be. You can have a real and vibrant relationship with God. There is real interaction. How is this possible? Well, notice that Paul's prayer is made through Jesus Christ. Paul draws attention to the Savior. Jesus' atoning death provides the only way to have a personal relationship with God. And when Paul speaks of the death of Jesus in Galatians 2.20, he speaks of Jesus as the one who loved me and gave himself for me. You see, again, this is personal. Jesus died for particular sins, not just sin in general. Is he your savior? How would you answer that question? With sincerity, can you say, Jesus loved me and gave himself for me? Through Christ, we have access to God. His death brings reconciliation, forgiveness, relationship. What do we have to do to earn it? Nothing. It's a gift. We received forgiveness with the open hands of faith. And then you have access to God in prayer through Jesus. You're able to communicate with him. He speaks to you as you read his word. And sometimes he'll speak to you through another brother or sister as they point you to his word. And God speaks through preaching. You're listening and then the Spirit reveals something about the message and how it applies to you. How do you grow in your friendship with someone? How do you deepen your relationship? By talking, right? By spending time with one another. By sharing your hearts with one another. Then you begin to know more about them. Your relationship is growing deeper as you're revealing yourself in more intimate ways to that person. Your relationship with God grows as you walk with him and as you become more familiar with his word you will begin to know the Lord's heart. And in turn, you share your heart with God. And we see Paul do that as the text continues. In verse 9, he says, For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers. Paul says that he never ceases to mention the Romans in his prayers, he prays for them constantly, regularly, 
consistently. And that's because they're on his heart. He has a burden for them. And Paul wants the Romans to know it. He calls God as his witness. He says that God can vouch for the truthfulness of his claims. The Romans are on his heart. Paul wants to go to Rome, but thus far he's been unable to get there. So he commits himself to prayer. And that's because prayer matters. Prayer is powerful. By prayer, Esau's heart was changed towards Jacob so that they met on friendly rather than hostile terms. By prayer, by the prayer of Moses, God brought the plagues upon Egypt and then removed them again. By prayer, Joshua made the sun stand still. By prayer, Elijah held back the rain for three and a half years and then by prayer caused it to rain again. Our prayers for saints around the world really matter. And in the second part of verse 10, Paul gives us one of his petitions. He says, my prayer is that somehow by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. You see, Paul's desire is to be able to bring the gospel to Rome. He wants to bring the gospel to the church, and he wants to bring the gospel to the unchurched and unsaved as well. And so he prays that God will provide a way for him to share the gospel in Rome. He wants to see believers mature in their faith, and he wants to see unbelievers come to know the Lord. And Paul's reference to God's will shows how he trusts in God's sovereign plans. He knows that God's timing is perfect. So he expresses his desire, and then he leaves it to God. And as the passage continues, Paul begins to explain what he wants to accomplish in Rome. And you see Paul's love and concern for the church. He wants to build them up. He wants to give them gospel strength. That's our second heading. Gospel strength. As Presbyterians, we have presbytery meetings that generally take place uh, once or twice a year. And these meetings uh, are where uh, both ruling elders and pastors come together in order to do the business of the church. And what often happens is that congregations in the presbytery take turns in order to host the meeting. And whenever it's your turn to host the meeting, you find yourself with several men who are in need of housing for a day or two. And so the host church will ask the, con- the congregation for volunteers to house the presbyters. And if you ever have the opportunity and you're able, I'd highly, highly, highly recommend housing uh, one or two or three of these men. My wife and I 
have been tremendously blessed as uh, we've housed various pastors and elders over the years. As these men came into uh, our homes, there were so many Christ-centered conversations. We talked about the scriptures. We talked about the challenges that um, I faced. We talked about the challenges uh, they were facing. We received counsel. We prayed together. We sang psalms together. Friendships were formed. We always felt, we always, always, always felt so encouraged having them with us. And we could see something of that in our text. Paul wants to bless and be blessed by the saints in Rome. Paul has a deep yearning to meet the Roman Christians face to face. He has a strong desire to use the gifts that God has given him to strengthen them. In verse 11, he says, For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. He wanted to bless the church through his gifts of preaching and teaching. Paul wanted them to grow in their understanding of the scripture. He wanted them to see the gospel with more clarity. He wanted to strengthen them. The verb strengthened appears in one other place in Romans and several times in Paul's letter to the Thessalonians. In the Thessalonian letters, Paul uses it to express his hope that they would persevere in their commitment to the gospel, that they would persevere in their faith. And it seems likely that Paul uses the term here because he knew that faith in the gospel was an ongoing commitment in need of encouragement. And as Paul thought of going to Rome, you see that he recognized his own need of encouragement Paul knows that the benefit would be mutual as he goes on to say in verse 12, that is that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Paul found himself encouraged by the faith and commitment of others. And he says that he will be encouraged by the Romans' commitment to the gospel, just as he hopes that they are going to be encouraged by him and his zeal to see the gospel advance. When Christians meet together, they have the opportunity to stir one another up. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And and all the more as you see the day draw near. Christians are called to gather together weekly on the Lord's day. We're to walk in faith together, encouraging one another to love and good works, strengthening one another. Close and regular fellowship with other believers is not just a good idea. 
It's an absolute necessity. And we have a responsibility to verbally spur each other on through words of encouragement. There is amazing power, amazing power in an encouraging word. You and I can change a life with one kind word. Encouragement is a Christian duty. You need other believers and other believers need you. You need to be built up and so do others. You need to remember that your spiritual gifts are not for you, but for the good of others. Paul longed to see the Romans that he and they might be even mutually benefited from one another's faith and one another's gifts. But that's not the only reason he wanted to travel to Rome. It was the capital city of the empire, and therefore it was a strategic city for the advancement of the gospel. As, Paul letters, as Paul's letter continues, you see that he not only wanted to go, but he felt compelled to go. In our third heading, we'll consider gospel obligation. Gospel obligation. In verse 13, Paul mentions that he has been unable to get to Rome. He envisioned having a fruitful ministry among them, just as he had had with the rest of the Gentiles. And then in verse 14 and 15, he describes his sense of obligation. He says, I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to wise and to foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Paul is duty-bound to proclaim the good news to everyone. You'll notice that he mentions his obligation to Greeks and to barbarians. He uses two phrases to describe the entire Gentile population of the world. When he says to Greeks and to barbarians, he means to those under the Greco-Roman culture and to those outside of it. Rome was filled with all kinds of people. Greeks, barbarians, civilized, brutish, wise, and the unlearned. Paul says that he's under obligation to preach to all of them. The word obligation could also be translated debtor. So when Paul says, uh uh-oh. Oh boy, now we're going to have a game on our hands. (laughs) It is a good thing to be in the family of the Lord, is it not? (laughs) Paul speaks of being under obligation to preach the gospel. The word obligation could be translated as debtor. 
So when Paul says, I'm under obligation, that phrase could also be translated as, um, I, I'm a debtor, or I have a debt to pay. Sometimes when you have a debt to pay, you could hardly think of anything else until you get the bill paid off. It can motivate you. Paul views himself as someone who has a debt to pay. And he frequently used that metaphor of debt in a moral sense. It implies a real sense of obligation. The sense of obligation motivated him. Paul has been set apart to, or as an apostle to the Gentiles. He has an obligation to proclaim the gospel because God has given him this commission. Not every Christian is called to preach the gospel in a formal way, but Jesus did give the great commission to all of us. He gave believers the responsibility to go and make disciples. And a disciple is someone who hears and understands and obeys the words of Jesus. Christians are called to bring the message of the gospel to the lost, and they're called to disciple others in the faith. Our goal is to see people make permanent changes to their lives. So following the example of Jesus in the gospels and the apostles in the book of Acts, we're to build relationships with people. We build relationships with the hope that by God's grace, people will accept the message of the gospel and seek to grow in their knowledge and devotion to God. Paul was eager to travel to Rome to preach the gospel. He wanted to reap a harvest. He wanted to see souls converted to Christ. And he wanted to see Christians in Rome grow in their faith. He wanted to see them become mature disciples. And he was confident that all of this would happen by the preaching of the gospel. As his letter continues, you see that Paul was motivated by the power of the gospel. And our fourth heading will consider gospel power. Gospel power. Rome was the seat of power in the Greco-Roman culture of Paul's day. Her law was a foundation for many. Her art was appreciated. Her military was the wonder of the world. And there were deeply ingrained social reasons why some would have thought the message of Christianity with its focus on a savior who had been crucified appeared foolish and shameful. We, say, we face a similar pressure in our own day. And Paul was already familiar with this attitude and he wasn't swayed by it. He wasn't swayed by it one bit. In verse 16, Paul says, that he is not ashamed of the gospel. In fact, he gloried in it. In 2 Corinthians 10, 17, he says, let him who boasts, 
Boast in the Lord. Paul wanted to be known as a Christian. He wasn't ashamed. In verse 16, Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation. And anyone who has sat under uh, preaching for very long uh, has heard many times that the Greek word translated power is dunamis, uh, from which we get our word dynamite, right? You hear that. And that's because they want you to know, to get a sense of the idea that the gospel is powerful. Spiritually, it's powerful. And God's power is demonstrated through the gospel. God has promised that his word will not return to him void. It accomplishes its purpose. The preaching or preaching in, in its method, God has chosen that method, preaching, to save the world. And that's why Paul is not ashamed. He wanted to preach the gospel because it was the power of God for salvation. And that's true whether the gospel is being heralded from a pulpit or it's being communicated by a mother to her children. Our confidence is in the power of the gospel for salvation, not in our ability. Our confidence is in God's work and God's gospel. And notice that Paul says the gospel is for everyone who believes, first to the Jew and also to the Greek. The gospel came to the Jews first, and to the Jew was also given the word of God, the oracles of God. And Paul seems to use the word Greek here as a rough equivalent to Gentile. His point is that the gospel comes with its saving power, not merely to one ethnic group, but to all of humanity. It's for everyone who believes. In verse 17, Paul tells his readers how the gospel of Christ brings salvation. He says, For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, The righteous shall live by faith. The gospel saves because the righteousness of God is revealed in it. You see, the gospel reveals what the righteousness of God is. Philippians 3.9 speaks of a righteousness which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. And 2 Corinthians 5.21 refers to this as a God-given righteousness. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The gospel is revealed through Christ, who suffered in our place because of our sin, 
And through the resurrection, he offers his righteousness to anyone who believes. And Paul concludes with a a quotation from Habakkuk 2.4. The righteous shall live by faith. Understanding this makes an eternity of difference for those who are seeking salvation, life, true, meaningful, and everlasting life comes through faith. There are three aspects of genuine Christian faith, knowledge, assent, and trust. True believers must know something about the Lord Jesus and the gospel. You must assent or agree that the content of the Christian faith is true. Sincere faith says that God's word is true. And true faith refers to a personal trust and reliance. You have saving faith when you know and assent to the claims of Jesus and personally trust in him alone for your salvation. Faith isn't something you demonstrate one time at an evangelistic event. And faith isn't something that just happens at the beginning of the Christian life. It is the Christian life. Living faith is abiding and active. Living faith clings to the gospel and refuses, refuses to let it go. The power of the gospel motivated Paul. It made him excited. It's possible to stand sinless before God. And it's possible to know that you have eternal life and that you're free from trying to earn righteousness. As you look at this text, you can see why Paul longed to go to Rome. He was confident that God was going to do marvelous things. That's why he prayed without ceasing that God might give him an opportunity to go and to preach there. Paul wanted to go and strengthen the believers through his preaching and teaching. And he knew that he would be encouraged by their faith as well. Besides, he felt compelled to go. Like a debtor anxious to pay his bill. Paul had been commissioned by Christ to preach the gospel to the Gentiles, and he took that calling seriously. And why wouldn't he? The gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. He had witnessed the gospel completely transform lives. As you read this passage, Paul gives you a look into his heart and to his life you see what motivated him and sustained him in his ministry. You learn about his prayer life, his love for the church, his commitment to evangelism, and his confidence in the power of the gospel. But as much 
as these things motivated him. The true motivation behind all of it was his love for Christ, his friendship with him, and his gratitude for what Jesus had done for him. Paul is an example to us. His life is a pattern for anyone seeking to follow Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for the reminder about the power of prayer, the power of an encouraging word, our obligation to bring the gospel to the lost, and the power of the gospel, Lord. Salvation is of the Lord. It is your work. Lord, we pray that you would ingrain these things upon our heart, that you would teach us and help us to grow. Lord, we'd ask that you'd hear our prayer in Christ's name. Amen.